0: At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to tune in for our current series, Reveal, stories with purpose as we study the parables of Jesus, reading stories with the power to reveal God's truth in our lives. All right, so there's four movies that I want to point out to you, the awesomeness of these four. I think there's a connectedness. I do so as you, I'm showing you like these four movies. I want you to think about like how are they connected because I do think there's a connection. The first movie would be Rocky, which there's pretty awesome theme music in Rocky, like either Eye of the Tiger, which is really good. Or there's that right that, anyway. Next one, we have Rudy. So when I see Rudy, I start in my head, I start chanting, which is interesting. Then I have this one, Cool Runnings, which is about the Jamaican bobsled team. Now, here's the thing: like some of these movies, as I'm looking at, um, I'm I'm looking at thinking, okay, I remember that movie. But like this one, I watched a long time ago. I'm just real fast. I'm not, I'm not encouraging you to watch all of these movies today, and I'm not endorsing them because sometimes I don't think Cool Runnings, because it was like a Disney movie. But sometimes, does this ever happen? Like you watch one of those old movies. Thinking like, oh no, this was cool back in the day, and you watch it, and you're like, that was bad. Like, that's a, that's, that movie's not good. That's a bad movie. I, I, I don't think this is it. This is just funny. Anyway, the last one, Matilda. All right, so here's what happened. A couple weeks ago, Amy and Gabe they were in Oklahoma, visiting our family. And so I'm like solo at that point. You know, there's no, it's me and the dog. And so the dog got extra walks and I got to eat what I wanted and keep the house clean at all times. And I got to work a lot and play video games and watch movies. And one night, I wish I was making this up. One night I'm sitting there eating my popcorn, watching movies. And I realized like I'm watching Matilda. Why am I watching Matilda? No one is here making me watch this. I can watch any man movie. And I'm watching Matilda. So that was just confession time with Billy. There you go. So the connection between these four movies. I do think there's a connection. I think the connection is they're all about the underdog. And I love, love, love the story. Of the It's predictable. I know. I know it's predictable. And sometimes it seems too good to be true. But sometimes it is true. But I, the underdog story is so good. Whether it's a Sports movie, or business movie, or like kids, like it, that, to me it doesn't matter. Like I love the story of the underdog because it's going along one direction, and right when it seems like everything is so messed up, it gets flipped on its head, right? The unexpected happens. It's where there's a total reversal, and church, I think that's exactly what our world needs today. Our world needs a total reversal because it's like I woke up and I'm in the middle of the twilight zone or something, right? It's like, what? Everything went bonkers. What is going on? And I think that there needs to be a total reversal take place. And I think that reversal starts right here with us. I really do. I think it starts right here with us following the lordship of Jesus Christ. Again, good morning. And when I am Billy. I'm the campus pastor here at Woodside Romeo. And welcome to those who are watching on Facebook Live I don't know if it's going to work or not, but y'all, we're going to try something. We've been working on this for two weeks. Our internet connection, though, is so slow. But we're trying to get this online for those watching at home. So if this is working for those watching at home, know that you are loved, know that you are missed, but it is so good to be in the house of the Lord today. It is just so, so good to gather together. Let's take our Bibles. We're going to open up to Luke 16. This is the final week of this very short parable series, Luke 16, verses 19 through 31. Now, like many of the parables, just to give you the setting, Jesus is talking directly to the Pharisees right here. The Pharisees, if you don't know, they're the Bible experts of the day. They're the religious leaders. And so you have the law of Moses, right? You have the law, God's law. Well, the Pharisees said, we want to be good. And we don't want to break the law. So we're going to make laws to make sure that we don't break the law because we want to follow the law. So we got all these extra laws, which is enlightening because Jesus did the opposite, didn't he? What did Jesus do? Jesus said, I'm going to take all the law and the prophets. I'm going to narrow it down to two. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbors yourself. Love God so much you do what he tells you to do. And love other people, selflessly love other people. Jesus summed all the laws up into two, but the Pharisees didn't. The Pharisees went the other direction. We're going to make laws to make sure we don't break the laws. And Jesus said, you're a bunch of hypocrites because you're not keeping all the laws that you made. You're not keeping the laws that God gave. You're not keeping the two. You're not keeping none of them. You're hypocrites. And so right before this, Jesus is just taught on money. And Jesus is just taught that you can't serve God and money both. You can't love both. You can't pursue both. And if you look back at verse 14, they actually ridiculed Jesus. They scoffed at him, right? They ridiculed him. They made fun of him. And so Jesus redirects to tell this story. Right after teaching about money, he teaches this story, which brings us to our big idea today. Our big idea is that real faith obeys God's word. Real faith obeys God's word. I know I've already mentioned it, but I I think that there's something that happens when you watch online. I think sometimes you get up, you get your pajamas on, you get your cup of coffee, maybe some biscuits and gravy or something like that. You know, you get your dog there and your cat there and you're like, "All right. Let's watch the TV. We're going to church now." And we, we listen to the songs, and we uh, listen to Billy preach, and we then figure out lunch. Because we ate biscuits and gravy, so now we need some lunch, right? We're hungry now. And, and you come in here, if you come here, I think sometimes we're used to the ordinary, right? The ordinary, we come in. Yeah, the mask thing's a little bit different. The smell of, like, hand sanitizer bathing this room, you know, that's a little bit different. Um, but still, you know, you're singing the songs, and so you're thinking to yourself, how's the mix today? You know, it's a little hot. it a little it's a little cold. You know, How's the mix? What do we think there of the, the sound? And then Billy gets up, and you're like, why is he wearing a vacation shirt? Is he on vacation? I don't know what's going on with Billy. Why... Why he thought that was a good idea. That's really not a good idea. And so we get distracted a little bit as we're going. And then, amen, we all go outside and we talk for a little bit. That's ordinary. And I don't think God wants to do the ordinary. I think he wants to do the extraordinary. I think the Holy Spirit of God is present in this place. And so the question we should be wrestling with today is, what does it mean to have real faith that obeys God's word? What does that look like? Because if the Holy Spirit is going to empower us today, we want to do that. That is truly worth giving our lives to. So what does it mean to have this real faith that obeys God's word? That's what we're chasing for the whole rest of the day. And Jesus is going to show us the first thing, which is that our final destiny is a result of our belief. Again, the setting. Jesus is talking. He's talking to the Pharisees. And he says this, starting in verse 19. He says, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen who feasted sumptuously. Every day, And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham far off and Lazarus by his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in the water and cool my tongue, for I'm in anguish in the flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he's comforted here and you're in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who have passed from here to you may not be able And none may cross from there to us. So the context, the Pharisees who back in verse 14 have been called lovers of money were holding themselves up with this uh, super proud posture. Right? We are the ones, if anyone's going to go to heaven, we're the ones, that'd be the thought of the Pharisees. We are better at following the law than anyone. We live this life, we are closer to God, we are the stuff and Jesus has corrected them. They didn't like it. They, uh, they, they rebuked Jesus, right? They were saying, Jesus, how could you possibly say this? And so he tells a story. He says, there's a rich man. Can't you imagine Jesus looking at the Pharisees as he's telling this story? There's a rich man. Oh, he wore the fancy pants, wore the fancy clothes, ate the fancy food. And outside of his gate was this poor man. He was dumped off right there at the gate. His name's Lazarus. Now, church, I encourage you to do this. I went back and I read through all the parables this week. I cannot find one other instance where someone is called out by name. All the parables, it's always like there's this, there's this father with two sons, right? There's this widow. There's, there's an owner of a field, right? There's all these stories of these, these characters. But this one, all of a sudden, Jesus goes a different direction. He says, there's this rich man. And then he says, and Lazarus, a poor man named... Why do you think he did that? I think it's interesting how Jesus takes the least likely, the underdog... And that's the one he chooses to highlight. Some of you, you need to hear that. Because part of your faith struggle has been like, who am I? All the people on the the planet, all the people in this world, all the stars in the sky, God doesn't have time to worry about someone like me. Let me point back to what Jesus said. Jesus said there was a poor man covered in sores. His name was Lazarus. He knows your name. He knows how many hairs are on your head. The Lord cares about you intimately. I want you to know that. Isn't that incredible? It's such a good truth. And so there's this man named Lazarus. He's laying outside the gate and he's in awful condition. Sores all over him. We know they're open sores because it says the dogs come and lick. The, so it's not that they're covered. The dogs come and they start to lick the sores. This man is just begging for some type of mercy from the rich man Lazarus is begging for some morsels of food from something from this man who has so much wealth but instead the dogs come and lick the sores so he's probably getting infections and everything else why is that important here's why it's important if you had open sores like that you would be considered unclean now in our culture we're like all right so take a shower Like, it's not that complicated. Unclean. No, unclean was a big deal. Because if you were unclean, it meant that you were ceremonially, ah, I almost had it. I almost did. Two services of messing it up, and I almost nailed it. But I didn't nail it. Officially unclean, right? He was officially unclean. And what that meant was he could not go in and worship at the temple. Does that make more sense? There's a chasm There's a divide, there's a separation between Lazarus and all the people who were able and allowed to go in and worship God. He was separate. He was told, you're not good enough, you stay out there. That's what was going on with Lazarus. And so in verse 24, we see this complete change, right? This complete change because Jesus shifts gears and he says, enough talking about life Let's talk about death and the afterlife. And so when he's talking about death, he says, so Lazarus dies and is carried by angels up into heaven. He doesn't tell us about the actual burial, does he? And There's a reason for that. And since it's a family service, let me just say he was a poor man, and poor individuals didn't get their own burial. It was just this mass burial. And so they just skipped over that, and it was the angels carried him to heaven. The rich man, whole different experience. Right There would have been this burial. There would have been this family celebration. Maybe he had that thing you know, with the family name on it, and you open up the gate, and it's all creepy, but yet the whole family is there because you're rich, and that's what you get. You know? and, and when he dies, he wakes up and says that he's in Hades, and he's in torment. Now, Jesus, again, he's talking to the Pharisees. The Pharisees would have understood this place of torment I won't go over it a lot, but most of you, if you're familiar with church, you've been around for a while and you've heard the term Gehenna. Gehenna was a literal place. It was right outside Jerusalem and it was more than the trash heap. A lot of times I'll just shorten it and I'll just say it's like the trash heap, but this is not like that big hill by Lake Orion that smells real bad. This is not that. This is more than that. This is a place where that trash would would be burned. It would be on fire at all time. The fire would never go out. And if you go back all the way to the time of the kings and judges, this was a place where they would sacrifice children. And so it's a a disgusting place. It's a place of anguish. It's a place of torment. It's not a place anyone would want to be. And this rich man wakes up. And he's in Hades. In verse 24, he cries out to Abraham, You see that? And what does he say? Abraham. Here's what I want you to do. I see Lazarus. So you recognize people in the afterlife, right? You're going to recognize. He recognizes Lazarus, calls him out by name. But here's what hit me this week. He looked at Lazarus through his whole life as someone who was lower than him. He was looking down his nose the whole time at Lazarus. Like, I'm better than you, Lazarus. What's he looking at him like in the afterlife? He's in Hades. He still looks. And he says... Abraham, will you have Lazarus serve me? Did they? That's what he did. Have him dip his finger in the water and come touch it to my tongue. Because I'm in anguish. I need him to come serve me. I need him to come take care of me. Look what Jesus says in Luke 6.20. He says, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. This should be so sobering to us today. Because the question becomes, does your action, does the fruit of your life equal what you say your faith is? Does that make sense? Like you say you believe the Lord. You say you trust in the Lord. You say you're a Christian. Is there fruit in your life that says that that's true? Is there fruit in your life that says everything that you claim is true? Is there there evidence of that? Here's how James says it in James 2. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says that he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Faith without works is dead. There should be evidence. What happens with your hands, your feet, your voice should equal what you're saying that you believe to be true. This isn't just for grandmas and grandpas. It's not just for old married people. Now, I'm talking to college students, high school students, elementary students. Now, I want you to think about that person that you always ignore. They're a little bit weird, right? Maybe they don't learn as fast as everyone. Maybe they don't have the same financial backing that everybody has. Maybe their clothes are different. Whatever, maybe no one really likes them. Maybe they're not very nice all the time. When you you say that you follow Jesus, it requires all of a sudden this kindness be shown from all of us to the world around us. It's required. That's part of what it means to live as Christ. How did Jesus treat Everyone, even those who are crucifying him. What do he say? Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. There's this kindness oozing from Jesus at all times. He would speak truth. He didn't back down from truth. But yet there was love that was fueling everything that he did. And I think that's why when I look at this church, and we go specifically to how are we doing in caring for those in need I can say that this value that Woodside has of generosity, it's one of our values as a church, is something that I see lived out. During this COVID crisis, Woodside Cares was a ministry that was born. And that's where people were just super generous in the giving, even at a time where the world seemed to be so nervous. This church continued to be so generous in the giving. And we were able to provide lunches for so many of those first responders, doctors, and nurses who were just wiped out. They were exhausted, right? Totally worn out. And this church would say, hey, how about just something easy like lunch? Thousands and thousands and thousands of first responders were fed and cared for because of generosity. But it goes beyond that. There was a woman, I got to tell you the full story at some point. Uh, there was a woman who just expressed need. She doesn't even live in Romeo. She says, I don't have a church church. I'm a single mom. I've got all these car issues. I really, I want to tell you the full story at some point. But let's just say that this campus, this campus right here, was a campus able to bless her like crazy in ways that she never even expected. And it was awesome. That was through your generosity, right? When you're faithful in the tithe, think what the tithe is. The tithe is when you say, Oh, I have faith in Jesus. I have faith that he's going to take care of my needs. The tithe's the fruit of that. It's where you say, I'm going to take that first 10%, and Lord, I trust you. I'm I'm just giving that back to you. When you give that first fruit, I want you to know we're able to take care of the physical needs of people all throughout Southeast Michigan. But it goes beyond here, doesn't it? We have global partners. When you give a dollar, every time you give money, you're impacting the needs of orphans in Thailand, most of whom you'll never meet. You will never meet them, and yet today you're helping to meet their physical needs when you give. It matters. How does it look whenever I start to look at the way that you speak on social media? When the way that you love your neighbor, even if they're not very likable, the way that you love them, the way that you show grace and mercy with people in your family. Does the fruit of our life measure what we say to be true in our hearts? Next, we're going to see that revelation has been given to direct us. Look at verse 27. And The rich man, he said, then I beg you, Father, to send him, send Lazarus, to my father's house. For I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. So going back to Jesus' story, the rich man responds in a way that kind of surprises us a little bit. He's like, Oh, so you're saying I really can't move from here. That chasm that's there, that separation, that void that's there, I can't move. I'm I'm literally here forever. Like this is where I am. Real fast, I need to clean up something. Some of you, some of you growing up, you were taught or drew your own conclusion that when you are in the afterlife, after you die, that if someone gives enough money to the church that maybe it's going to make your position in heaven a little bit better. Like you're going to like, now I'm going to advance or I'm going to be able to jump over that void that's there. Or if they pray for me enough, if they pray for my soul enough, that all of a sudden now it's like, oh, now I'm going to be okay. Now it's going to, Jesus cleans up the teaching right here. Right? Your position in the afterlife is a fixed position. You're not jumping over the chasm on your own by your own strength, by your own power or the power of your family and friends here on earth. That's not going to help you. Or for me, like I can't do anything about it. So I can't jump the chasm for you. That's not going to happen, right? And so this man, all of a sudden, he gets it. He gets, I'm here. And so what does he say to Abraham? Back to that Lazarus thing being my servant again because yeah, he's lower than me. Will you send him back to tell my brothers? I got five of them. Isn't that funny? Like his whole Prideful posture still hasn't changed. Will you send them back, and what does Abraham say? Abraham says, no, listen, they have everything they need. Moses and the prophets, they had the Old Testament teachings. They just need to grab a hold of what they have, which brings up my favorite illustration in all of church. This is like, if if you ask Amy, like, her favorite illustration ever, it's this one that I'm getting ready to tell you. This illustration is the one, I heard it like, 25, 30 years ago, long time ago, long, long time ago. And so most of you, do what? Not your version. Not my, so I'm going to tell my version. So even if you have heard it, it's going to sound brand new today. You're going to love it. It'll sound brand new. And so the story goes like this. There's this man, and he lives out by the river, y'all. And so the river waters, they start to flood because it wouldn't be like anything. It wouldn't be the lake. It wouldn't be the ocean. It would be the river, right? The river is what would flood. And so the river starts going up. He gets nervous. He gets up on top of his house, up on the rooftop, and he starts praying, Lord, I just need you to save me. I, I have faith you're going to rescue me, Lord. Come on. I'm just trusting you to come get me out of the situation before you know it. There's a man with a rowboat. He's just rowing. He's rowing. And he gets up there, and he parks his boat, and he says, hey, because that's how they talk down there. hey come on down, I got a boat, we can get in the boat and I'll roll you on out of here. And he's like, no, no, he's saying, hey, I'll save you. That's what he was saying. And, and the man up on the roof says, no, I'm praying, the Lord's going to save me. Go on, there's a widow woman right over there, you can go rescue her. I'm just going, the Lord's going to save me. And he goes, all right, you know, and he starts rowing over to the widow woman. And all of a sudden he's praying, Lord, I'm just, I know you're going to save me, I know you're going to rescue me, Lord. And a motorboat comes up. You know, just get it, get it, get it. You know, he's getting it on the motorboat. And then he gets up there to the house and he puts it in park. I've never driven a motorboat, just so you know. I've never driven a motorboat. <laughs> but I, I, I don't think they have park. I don't think that's a gear. I certainly don't think you do it like one of those old trucks. You know, even trucks now, you just do this with it, right? But in my head, you're slamming it in the park. And so, but I think physics, like you would just keep going. I think because if you stop... But you've got momentum already. I don't, I don't think you can put it in park. Anyway, I think you reversed me. Anyway, so it's not important. So he stops the boat, puts it in park. He's like, hey, come on down. Come on, good buddy. I want you to come on down, get in the boat. I got lots of room. We're going to get on out of here. You know, get on out of here. You know, we're going to do that. Come on. And he's like, no, no, the Lord's going to save me. If you go down county line, though, there's a whole bunch of houses down there, down yonder, you know. And, and you need to rescue all them. I, the Lord's going to save me. It's just like, okay, you know, and so off he goes. Then the Coast Guard, there's no Coast Guard in Oklahoma because there's no coast, but the Coast Guard, they come with one of those big helicopters. I also have never driven a helicopter, but I've watched the videos. Like, they've got foot pedals, like, for for both feet, and you got this hand's doing something and this hand's doing something, which sounds like it'd be a lot of fun because, like, all your body's got to do stuff to drive it. So anyway, they park it in the air, again whatever and so he lowers down that hoist thing you know that you sit on like in the movies you gotta sit on that little hoist thing and you go breaker breaker one nine which they also don't say but he's like i need you to get on there good buddy get on there and i'll hoist on up and he's like no you know what i'm gonna say the lord's gonna save me the lord's gonna rescue me you just go on i'm I'm gonna pray and so he's praying and the waters go up and he dies (laughs) so he gets to heaven And when he gets to heaven, he looks. He's like, ah, the crystal sea. Look at that. Streets of gold. This is amazing. And then he sees the Lord, and he remembers what had happened. So he goes up, and he gives the Lord the what for? Lord, what do you think? I prayed. I did everything I'm supposed to do. I had faith. Why didn't you save me? And the Lord was like, I sent you a rowboat. I sent you a motorboat. I sent you the Coast Guard. And uh, here's the thing. I think we're that guy on the roof. That is us when we are in that place of stress and worry and anxiety and tension and conflict and depression and everything else. Listen, the Lord has not just given us Moses and the prophets. We have the complete canon, church. We have the whole word of God. We have the whole revelation of Jesus Christ. It is all right here, and it is good for our teaching and our rebuking and our correction and our building up. This is for us. We have each other. We have each other to encourage one another with Christ's likeness. But what are we doing with it? Because sometimes, I'm going to tell you, I think we make excuses. I think we say, no, 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 I'm just going to have faith. I'll just stay here. I'm going to ignore everything that's being said. I'm just going to stay here. I'm going to figure it out on my own. I think that's what we do. I love something Deal Moody said. Deal Moody said, this book will either keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. Let me say that again, because I didn't write it, and it's really, really good. So here's what he said. D.L. Moody said that this book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. You want to know the sin that keeps us from the book? It's pride. Now here's my take. You want to know my take on what's going on through really globally, but specifically our nation? And I hope you hear this with the heart that it's intended. But the sin of our nation right now is a sin of pride. I think the sin is a sin that says, I don't need anyone or anything for my salvation. I will figure it out on my own. Thank you very much. And it's a sin that says, get along with other people. Don't tell me how. I know how to get along with other people. I know how to fix this. I'm smart enough. I'm bright enough. I got enough money. I got enough power. I got enough whatever. I'm going to fix this on my own. The conflict I have with my brothers and sisters around me, I've got this. I'm not worried about it. I don't even need them. I don't care. When it comes to that underdog story and that reversal, here's a reversal that needs to happen. We need all of us to come under the lordship of Jesus Christ, who rules with love and with power, who is complete love and complete justice. And I think we miss that. Because we're not complete love, are we? Like, we don't love all people unconditionally well. We don't, we don't do that. We don't love the people we like well. Justice, justice says there's rightness and there's wrongness. We don't do that. We try to live in some weird gray middle. We don't like to call it rightness and wrongness. And Jesus is perfectly both. He is love and he is justice, We need to come under the sovereign rule and reign of King Jesus. And again, I think it starts right here. So finally, final question. What will you do with what God has revealed? Look at verse 30. And the rich man says, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Think about this moment. Jesus is telling the story to the prophets, or to the, to the Pharisees. And he says, if, if you don't believe the prophets, if you don't follow Moses, if you don't do that, you're not even going to believe when the resurrected one stands in front of you. Do you see the power of this moment? For us, it should be a gut punch. It should be where we ask, are we living lives that look like Micah 6-8? Are we doing justice loving mercy, and walking humbly before our God. Is that how we're posturing ourselves in the world? Does our, does our action, does our, does our work line up with our faith, with what we say we believe to be true? Let's pray. Father, we, um, we do thank you for your holy word. We thank you for the challenge of Scripture Lord, I know that this is a a hard time for so many, and there are people in here where anxiety has just swept over them like a wave. There are people that feel like they have sunk to the bottom of the depths of the ocean as depression just has a grip on them. Lord, there are people that feel like their skin sandpaper or something, and, and every time they turn around, something is being said or something is being done that just makes the blood boil. Again, I pray that in that storm that you are our rock, our refuge. That, Lord, we don't get swayed because of what society does. But our foundation continues to be the foundation of Christ Jesus. That our eyes continue to remain locked on the author and perfect of our faith. Lord, will you continue to show me. Show me personally what it means to live as Christ. Christ to have the mind of Christ. So that when my neighbor looks at me, when the barista looks at me, when that person serving looks at me, when someone in this church looks at me, they don't see the person with the funny accent or the ridiculous shirt, they see you. Lord, they see peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and goodness and self-control. Lord, they see a man of joy. And I pray that as a church, and when people see us, they see joy. They don't see that we're being thrown around by the storms of life, but they see these people who are rooted in Christ. And that our actions line up with what we say to be true. So, Lord, if there's been a place where we've started to drift from that, if pride has started to take root, will you expose that through your word this morning? Just expose those places of pride so that we can strip that out and repent and turn from it. That we don't let those areas start to rule in our lives. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the redemption that we have in Christ Jesus. We want to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing. So that as people see us, they see the gospel. They see the truth, God, that you love us. And yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Lord, I think every single one of us were kind of like Lazarus. We're a mess with wounds and with sores, unclean. And even in that spot, He sent Jesus for us, who lived that perfect and sinless life, who was crucified and placed into the tomb. But Lord, ours is not a story or we're victims. We are victors in Jesus because on the third day, he conquered sin and death and rose from the grave. And that's why we continue to gather still today. We pray for the gospel to continue to forcefully advance. Lord, we thank you that you've called us to be your ambassadors, sons and daughters of the most high. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand as we close our morning worshiping together. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together this week. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and to get you connected to the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org forward slash connect to introduce yourself today.